Hey, buddies, fellow Franco fans, it is I, your host, Jason Rudy, from Desperate Visions Productions, a Sacramento, California-based filmmaking company headed by yours truly. Uh, so today I bring you episode 55, film 55, Night of the Skull, a Spanish production um, in the country of origin, of course, Spain, 1973. Uh, the original theatrical title in country of origin, La Noche de la Asinos, The Night of the Murderers. Uh, alternative titles. Oh, this is great. Um, so, Spiria. Okay, now, <clears throat> you know the Dario Argento film, Suspiria, which came out uh, actually a little bit later. This is So Spiri, S O S P I R I, So Spiri. Italian theatrical as size. Uh, German theatrical in the shadow of the killer. I'm Scotten des Mortars. Uh, Mexican theatrical, the killer's attack at night. Los asesinos atacan de noche. Uh, night of the Assassins, UK alternative title. Production companies, Cooperativa Phoenix Films out of Madrid and Copracines Cooperativa Cinematografia out of Madrid, and uh, the theatrical distributors, uh, Chamartin Producciones de Distribuciones, out of Madrid. Shooting timeline on this, uh, November 1973. It had a stages festival screening in September 29th of 74. Then it finally played Madrid on November 8th of 76, followed by Florence, Italy, uh, July 14th, 1977, then Barcelona, April 10th, 79. Uh, so yeah, it looks like it played for uh, about five years there. Four, three to five years. Uh, theatrical running time, Spain, of course, 82 minutes. Um, this is a film that has very little fleeting nudity as it was in Spain, and all the nudity shown is not an erotic or sexual nature. It's always a matter of fact, getting out of a bath only showing part of one boob or the rear of the person. That's about it. Very different than his other films, more of a straight-ahead film. And he does every once in a while where he doesn't really, um, where he tries to play it up really classy. This is one of his classy-type films. Uh, cast is Alberto Duvalde's returns as Major Olive Brooks, Evelyn Scott, William Berger, Maribel Hidalgo, Lena Romay, Vincente Roca, Antonio... Uh, let's see. Um, Tonya Mayans, Yelena Samarina, Angel Menendez, and let's see. Um, Luis Barbu is really good in this. Uh, John Swank Heinz Thung, uh, Jose Maria Palacios, Jose Martinez Blanco, Richard Vasquez, Jess Franco, and Ramon Ardid. Also, uh, Dan Van Housen. Uh, I kind of go over this later on, but I'm just going to do a kind of short shrift. Credits directed by Jess Franco, based on the story Cat and the Canary by Edgar Allan Poe, which is silly. Screenplay Jess Franco and James Johnson. Director of photography Javier Perez Zofio. Editor Antonio Gimino. Music Carlo Savina. Um, produced by Arturo Marcos Tijor. Tijor. Uh, production manager Antonio Cervera Garcia. And. Um, Let's see here, stylist, film detectoscope, and costumes, Perry Samuelos, music publisher. 
already production notes. So the Noche de Celes Asinos reunited Franco with the Silence of the Tomb cinematographer Javier Perez Ofino. The filming, which took place at Cabo Royag in Orjuelo during early November, almost ended in tragedy, according to a news story in the Spanish press at the time. Actress Maribel Hidalgo nearly drowned during the filming of a scene from La Noche de los Cintos by Jesus Franco, which took place on the beaches of this region. For the scene in question, Maribel Hidalgo was abducted from a castle and thrown into the sea with her hands and feet tied. When filming this last sequence, the actress suffered a blackout, apparently having low blood pressure, and had to be removed from the water by colleagues. Shooting was suspended while the necessary medical attention was given. Review uh, with a torrid storm. Okay, this is actually before I start this up. Uh, this is by uh, Murderous Passions by Stephen Thrower, one of the main source materials we always review and take from. All right, review uh, by Stephen Thrower. With a torrid storm-ridden atmosphere, redolent of early '60s Italian horrors like Antonio Magaretti's Castle of Blood or Mario Bava's The Whip in the Flesh, Night of the Skull gets off to a thunder-cracking start. A stern patriarch alone in his study reads a Bible late at night, dwelling on a vengeful passage describing God's anger at dissolute mankind. A masked figure pounces, beating the old man around the head and burying him alive in the garden amid howling winds and lashing rains. In a year of such exotic mutations as Countess Perverse and Female Vampire, it's startling to see a Franco film like this, in which the camera work is sober and controlled and the pacing conventional throughout. There are no huge spikes of excitement granted, but there are no slow motion th throws either. Even the editing patterns are clean, rational, orderly. Hardly what one would expect from Franco at his early 70s fever pitch. He obviously went to some trouble to make this a genuine commercial proposition. The emphasis is firmly on shadows and menace. Sex and surrealism are kept at arm's length. And instead, what we get is a sort of a cross between the Italian Gothic horrors of the 60s and the German creamies of the same period. Those regional Franco, uh, these regular, those regular Franco standbys, flagellation and incest, are corralled into a brief scene of Lena Romay being whipped by a drunken stepmother, Maribel Hidalgo, and a will-they-won't-they -they sibling romance between Romay and Mayans, which turns out to be not quite the moral quagmire they think it is. Basically, you can forget about rape and torture for a while and concentrate instead on gloomy mansions, shadowy corridors, conniving relatives, masked villains in the dead of night, and sinister characters who are not what they seem. There are, however, some shaky buttresses in this old dark house drama. For instance, Night of the Skull seems at first to be set in England, complete with references to characters traveling from Brighton and others complaining that they need to get back to London. Everyone speaks with British accents, and despite the Hispanic appearance of several key players, those lords, ladies, barons, and majors are clearly supposed to be members of the British upper class. However, a preponderance of bootlace ties and a policeman with a cowboy hat set alarm bells ringing until, at last, it transpires that the characters are holed up in an estate in Louisiana, belonging to an English emigre whose decision to relocate to the USA is important to later plot developments. The film's sense of geography is woefully unstable. The long distances being discussed are too casually sketched in so that the turn-of-the-century transatlantic travel begins to seem as instantaneous as a trip via Star Trek transporter. In addition, the film's compliance 
I'm sorry, in addition, the film's complicated plot tends to fall apart under scrutiny as a plethora of minor characters are so fleetingly introduced that it's hard keeping track of who's who. Franco may have chosen to mount a more conventional production, but it's evidently being written without a second draft and filmed at breakneck speed. Consequently, it's not just the shadowy lighting that obscures. What the film really lacks are a few Baroque flourishes. A more mobile camera, for instance, to augment the masked marauder plowing prowling through these shadowy house and grounds. Still, Night of the Skull is sufficiently moody and compelling to hold one's attention. Estras Bava it may be, but it's a hell of a lot more successful than Silence of the Tombs, which felt like a failed attempt to to relive the daffy delights of Bava's $5 for an August moon. Though Night of the Skull is definitely a minor work, it deserves more acclaim and has probably looked glorious and has probably looked glorious on the big screen. Uh, Julian Granger adds, This comes on strong like an Agatha Christie, Ten Little Indians type film, with the main audience expectation being a final reveal as to which of the ghastly family or his employers is the killer, only to have everything revealed about 47 minutes in, when Dan Van Housen's Albert Pagan character reveals to his Chinese medium wife that the portrait of Lord Marion in the dining room isn't in fact Lord Marion after all. Their attempt to contact him and a sort of seance is interrupted when Rufus, a grotesquely overacting Louise Barbu, kills them both. It's a real shame about Barbu. On the whole, the acting from the cast is good to excellent, but the fact that he's the classic red herring Butler did a character never blinks and has that face must have made the audience giggle as if he were wandering through the film with a huge red arrow suspended above his head. He's meant to be frightening and not a little loopy, but really... Rufus's confession as he lays dying in the hospital, followed by his extreme reaction to seeing Albert de Ballet's major Brooke character, pretty much gives away the whole whodunit. Furthermore, Brooks asked Rufus, who killed the real Lord Marion? As if suddenly this is a common knowledge, which surely only Rufus and Vicente Rocca's Inspector Bore could possibly know this. Unless, of course, it is Brooks who is the killer. Brooks later talks to Antonio Mayan's character, Alfredo, who tells him, the underlying passages in the Book of the Apocalypse cor- corresponds to the ways in which Jennings, Cecilia, and Deborah were murdered. There are no effective expositions to explain these strange going-ons. Apparently, Jennings is the real name of Angel Mendez's character, but who he really was and how he was working for Duvales is not made clear. On a similar theme, when the killer removes his skull mask, William Berger's Baron Simon Tobias reacts in astonishment and identifies him immediately as Lord Marion, Sure, he would have seen and identified him during the investigation. Finally, when Dabales reveals that he is about to kill his illegitimate daughter, he calls her Jennings' daughter. It seems to me that the story structure is muddled and the exposition hopeless. Perhaps it is Franco's initiate freeform filmmaking that clashes with the sort of murder mystery that stands or falls by its careful plotting. Franco on screen. Franco turns up toward the end of the film in an underdeveloped but amusing role as Eddie, alcoholic sidekick to Alberto Duvalet's brooding, quizzical investigator. Cast and crew. Knight of the Skull sees the handsome and engaging Antonio Mayans making his Franco debut. He would go on to become one of the director's most indispensable collaborators in the 1980s. Uh, Jock Swan Heinz Thung, a.k.a. Susan Swan, or Swan Heinz, uh, plays Meru, a young medium married to Dan Van Housen's Albert Pagan. In fact, she really was dating Van Housen at the time. He introduced her to Franco, who liked her, and asked her to appear in Night of the Skull and one further film, Kiss Me Killer. 
Heinz Fung, then living in Madrid, was a recent graduate in medicine at Freiburg University. She later, she later married a, Swede, a Swiss dentist and now lives in Switzerland. Uh, music. Carlo Savina's score is a strident gothic noir confection led by a theme for saxophone and strings which intelligently overlays American and European influences. There are distinct echoes of Carlo Rostossi's music for Mario Bava's Blood and Black Lace and a direct lift from Savina's own score for Bava, Lisa and the Devil, a composition for strings. Uh, Savina was a veteran... Italian composer whose work graced numerous peplums, spaghetti westerns, and historical epics in the 1960s. His horror and thriller scores include Crypt of the Vampire, The Young, uh, The Evil, and The Savage, uh, Malenka, The Niece of the Vampire, Omne Roventi, Night of the Damned, The Female Butcher, and The Killer Reserve, Nine Seats, which, 1974, it's a really cool film. Uh, locations, uh, shot in Alicante and Orjuela, Spain. Connections. This should be close to the end here uh, of this half. Uh, as the credits admit, Night of the Skull owes much to the classic Old Dark House story, The Cat and the Canary, borrowing settings, ambiance, and basic plot details. However, the credits attribute the source material to Edgar Allan Poe, which is, of course, untrue. Cat and the Canary began as a play written in 1922 by John Willard, the success of which led to screen adaptation. Paul Lenny directed the first version in 1927, winning acclaim for his merging of German expressionistic and Hollywood styles. Certain details in Night of the Skull have their own origin, not in the Willard play, but the Lenny film, including such elements as a second will that contradicts the first. Franco dispenses, however, with certain key visuals, like the ghostly hands reaching from the shadows to menace greedy relatives and the denouncement is completely off the wall and no way accurate to either source. It also has no connection to the 1965 play of the same name by Cuban-born dramatist Jose Tirana. The biblical text from which Lord Marion reads at the start of the film is Didertomini, chapter 13, verses 19 to 24. The name Lord Marion returns from Franco's debut, Trimos e Tinenos, in which he's a villainous murderer in the imagination of the film's fanciful heroines. Uh, other versions. Obsession lists a running time of 87 minutes, five minutes longer than the version currently available on DVD from Tartan and Image. The missing content of any longer version is unknown. So, yeah, uh, that's I think the version I had saw was off of uh, Image or Tartan, because um, I think they share some of the same cover art, same poster art for that both releases. Um yeah, so anyway, um, you'll hear uh, some upper music after this portion, and then Eric uh, Whitwell and I review this film, A Night of the Skull, and uh, hear what we think about it and all that good stuff. Um, all right, well, thank you so much for listening. Um, once again, always, you can find us at uh, Franco Observer at yahoo.com. You can uh, find us on Instagram and Facebook, Franco Observer Podcast. Go ahead and add us there. We always add new content, let you know when new episodes drop, which, of course, if you're a fan of the show, you know it's every Wednesday morning, and uh, all that good stuff. Um, recordings here, this portion, uh, at the end of August here in uh, two, oh gosh, darn, uh, two, 2021, and uh, here in here by Northern California, we got a lot of uh, wildfires going on uh, to the north and actually the northwest and northeast of I uh, here. And uh, it's not looking good, man. It's really sad to see 
all these beautiful places go up. Um, trees are so very important. Trees, of course, supply oxygen, take our carbon dioxide, and are so important to the world. We keep seeing the forests and the trees die away, polar caps melt. Uh, it's so sad. It's only a matter of time. I don't know. Um, I don't want to go on a big drag here, but uh, yeah, stuff like that does not make me have hope for the future. Um, trees also absorb a lot of negativity. Uh, it's an old witch thing that I believe in, and uh, with this world being so negative, it's almost fitting to see the trees disappearing because we don't have the things to take away our negativity. Um, so it's a tad sad thing, you know. Um, that's why we do art and do all that stuff is to help ourselves do that. So let you think about that for a moment and please give to any local um, forestry service, anybody fighting the wildfires, anything that helps. And please remember, do not ever throw any cigarettes out your window or do not light anything by dry areas. Please keep our world safe. We need it for a long time more. Please. Thank you. Hey, buddies, welcome once again to the Franco Observer Podcast. I am your host, Jason Rudy from Desperate Visions Productions, and I am joined here today for episode 55, film 55, Night of the Skull, with my frequent co-host and co-reviewer, uh, Mr. Eric Whitwell. Hey! Hey, hey buenas noches. Buenas noches! Uh, so we watched uh, Night of the Skull... Uh, produced in Spain, 1973 today. Uh, watched it off of, uh, I believe it uh, was a copy of a Spanish print, which looks like similar to the Severn print. Um, this is uh, a, a, a different chapter in Franco's life. So we see some similarities appear and some things repeated. Uh, we'll kind of go on to those as after we go through the synopsis, which we get from the book Murderous Passions, uh, Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco, Volume 1, by Mr. Stephen Thrower. So um, here's the synopsis, which actually would probably help on this film because a uh, very interesting film. Let's go over the synopsis. Let's see. So uh, synopsis, 19th century Louisiana. When Lord Archibald Percival Marion is buried alive by a killer wearing a rubber skull mask, his wife, Lady Cecilia Marion, and his servants, Deborah Potts and her husband, Rufus, expect to inherit. Inspector Boré arrives to begin the investigation, assisted by Major Oliver Brooks, recently arrived from Scotland Yard. Brooks says he has special knowledge about Lord Marion's will, but refuses to divulge it. The rest of the family are summoned for the reading of the will. The first to arrive are the deceased cousins, Baron Simone Tobias and his wife, Lady Marta Tobias. The family notary, Brian Loy, reveals that Lord Marion left two wills, one to be read in the event of a natural death and the other in case he is murdered. The latter being the case, the will leaves everything to his illegitimate daughter, Rita Durarian. 
conceived during Marion's affair with a black servant girl. She lives in the family mansion, but is despised and regularly beaten by her aunt Cecilia. That night, Cecilia is murdered by the masked assassin, who ties her to a coastal promontory where she drowns during a raging storm. On the same day, Lord Archibald's cousin Albert Pagan, the black sheep of the family, arrives with his Chinese wife, Meru. Also arriving is Alfred's Marion, Lord Marion's son. Brooks orders the reading of the other will, which turns out to divide the Marion estate between Cecilia, Simon, Marta, Albert, and Alfred. He then reveals that Lady Cecilia's body has been found. The inspector orders everyone to stay at the mansion while the investigation proceeds. At dinner, Alfred Pagan sees a portrait of Lord Marion and reacts with shock. Later, he tells his wife that, although he hasn't seen his cousin for many years, the portrait was not the man he knew. During a seance conducted by Meru to conduct the dead man, Rufus leaps from the shadows and stabs Albert and Meru to death. The police give chase and shoot him. Meanwhile, the masked assassin murders Deborah by tying her up and setting fire to her. Rufus confesses to the murderers on his hospital deathbed, saying they were necessary because Albert had discovered the truth about the fake Lord Marion. It transpires that the dead man, whose real name was Jennings, took the place of the real Lord Marion with the convenience of his wife Cecilia and his servants Deborah and Rufus. Inspector Boré announced that the real Lord Marion wrote the other will. The dead man's share will therefore be split between Simon Marta and Albert. Albert tells Rita that he's glad she's not his real half-sister because he has feelings for her. Simon murders his wife by drowning her in the bathtub to prevent her from revealing that he was the fourth conspirator, alongside Jennings, Cecilia, and Deborah. The masked assassin appears and reveals himself as Major Oliver, actually the real Lord Marion, who is not dead after all. The four conspirators threw him into the sea, leaving him dead, but he was rescued by fishermen. Suffering amnesia, he started a new life and became a police detective. One day, he visited the Marion estate in Yorkshire and recognized his home. He set about killing the four conspirators, drawing on a list of biblical, a list of biblical punishments relating to earth, water, fire, and air. Marion shoots Simon Tobias dead, then turns his attention to Rita. Despite her innocence, he despises her as a <laughs> wow. Despite her innocence, he despises her as a mulatto and a relative of Jennings. <laughs> he is about to kill her when Inspector Boré shoots him dead. Uh, Eric, what do you think about the film? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now that just kind of even raised more questions in my head. Um, if you're into like whodunit mur- mysteries, uh, twists and turns. Um, old dark house movies old dark house movies and yeah it, it's it's a it's a decent movie it 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 stands you know um now you know once you know all the twists and turns i don't know if you can really watch it again with the same 
Well, you can look to see it, if you see the clues now that you know certain things. That's, yeah, you, but, you go, yeah. Okay, now I know this person. You look for it. Okay, I can see it now or whatever. Yeah, I guess it's just uh, there's so many movies out there. I don't know if I would watch watch it again. Um, yeah. But it was, it was well done. It was a well done movie. Yeah, it's something to watch in the Franco canon in order to see people we like to see. And now that you kind of read it, which I was right, like Luis Barbu when he made his eyes real big, he knew <laughs> he was looking at the dead man. Yeah. That's why he was scared and yeah. died because that guy's supposed to be dead. And he's like, oh. Yeah, saw him for the first time, and that's why he passed out and died. You know. So. Yeah, yeah, but it just made me think. Okay, so they said that um, the guy who took over the Marion estate, right, who pretended to be Lord Marion, right. Okay, so he did that uh, with the help of the four conspirators. The four conspirators. Yeah, Rufus, who was, his wife. Was Rufus is one of them. Rufus and his wife, and then uh, the lady. Yeah, the blonde lady, and then the fourth guy was uh, Burger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just wondering, like. Why the fuck did Rufus let him talk shit to him during the storm? Like I'd be like, "Bitch, you well, you're in your position because of me." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, he he said, was, like, but he was submissive to her and 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 took on the and that's probably why he was scared because he probably killed the guy and he was always freaked out about. Oh, that's true. You know, like, yeah, that was his that thing makes of, sense. Like he uh, always had this fear of getting caught or something. So then he was such a puss, and then she. She was more standoffish. Well, I'll, I'll just be strong and yeah. be that part of the relationship. And then she was always under him. You know, that's true. Because he said you can go hide behind your wife's skirt. Right. Everybody treated in the very him beginning, like the very yeah. weak one, you know, all that stuff. You know, and he just has his big that. eyes. Oh yeah, no, he's so funny. <laughs> but yeah, I know this is an interesting movie. It's like, uh, well, with him right off the bat, he plays a servant, which we're laughing because it's very typecasting in this. And something this is funny without. Opposite typecasting, you have Lena Romain here, who is dressed all the way up to stitched all the way up to her neck, and uh, and what was the comment you had made about the previous film in this? I was like, the movie before it opens with her sucking a dude's dick to like as a vampire to take his soul, like. That's how it opened the other movie, and now she's like, "Yeah, like Little House on the Prairie." You mentioned, yeah, it's yeah. like all buttoned up, totally frontiered out. <laughs> Totally innocent and like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, so this is, uh, he did this for Cooperative Phoenix Films Madrid. Uh, Cooperative uh, Madrid, so Spain. So with Spanish production like that and not uh, France or the places, Germany and that, that's why the lack of nudity in that because shot right in Spain at that time. So okay. that was clamped down on that. Um, let me see. There was nudity though. Yeah, there was some nudity at the very end, but but it was almost inconsequential nudity, and it wasn't sexual nudity. Yeah, that's why he can get away with it. You okay, know, showing the ass yeah, like sick. that. <coughs> yeah, it wasn't like in a lustful scene of her getting naked doing something. It was like yeah. you know, her uh, was at the beds. Even her getting in bed with a guy, they, you didn't see anything. Uh, what was it? You seen part of her boob? And what what shot was it? Uh, Getting out of bed or something? Yeah, or? when she uh, she was laying down in bed and uh, you saw like part of her breast, like yeah, in, like the thirty one minute. Yeah, by herself. So by herself. Yeah, yeah, she was yeah, with the yeah. guy. They didn't show it yeah, all. So it's it. weird how that nudity yeah. is with that. It's just so stupid how they that. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah, and then they got, of course that. that woman's ass when he was putting the cl- cloak on her or whatever. You know. Yeah. The, the c- coming out of the bathroom. Matt Rogue, yeah. Um, let's see who the producer is on this. Uh, let's see. Uh, this is um, assistant producer, assistant director. Okay, let me just give the credits out. Directed by Jess Franco, based on the story Count the Canary by Edgar Allan Poe, but I, that's so funny. Screenplay Jess Franco and James Johnson, director of photography, 
Javier Perez, Ofio, editor Antonio Gimino, uh, music Carlos Savina, produced by Arturo Marcos Talajor. So, yeah, I don't know who that guy is, Trejor. Production manager Antonio Cerveza Garcia. So, yeah, this is a different um, production notes. Um, okay, that makes sense now. We'll read about it. Uh, this film reunited Franco with The Silence of the Tomb cinematographer. Uh, Zofio, Javier Zofia. Of course, Science of the Tomb has no nudity in it. Uh, the filming, which took place at Cabo Roig in Orhuela during early November, almost ended in tragedy, according to a news story of the Spanish press at the time. Actress Maribel Hidalgo uh, nearly drowned during the filming of the scene. Uh, I must have been on the rock scene. Oh, whoa. Shit, dude. Uh, during the filming of the scene, the nights of the just the assassin by just Franco, which takes place on a beach of this region, for the scene in question, Maribel Hidalgo was abducted from a castle and thrown into the sea with her hands and feet tied. While filming the last sequence, the actress suffered a blackout, apparently having low blood pressure, and had to be removed from the water by colleagues. Ooh. Shooting was suspended until the necessary medical attention was given. Jeez. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's pretty fucked up. Oh, man. Okay. But yeah, so that was uh, interesting on that. I just happened to kind of glance at it. How much prior had Soledad passed away? And how many years uh, well, no, that's that's quite a bit. I'd say that was, uh, shit, probably two years. Well, that's not that long. Dude. Well, yeah, but <laughs> but how many films ago? Well, I know. I mean, Film-wise. 80 yeah, films. Yeah. No. yeah, dog years. How many years is that? Yeah. Yeah. No, but, but this has a really good cast. It's got uh, yeah. Alberto Dabali's returns as Major Oliver Brooks. You have Evelyn Scott coming in, I think one of her first films for him, as uh, Lady Marta Tobias. Uh, the Mighty William Berger is really good in this as Baron Simon Tobias. Uh, Maribel Hidalgo, I'm not familiar with her. She's Lady Cecilia Marian. Uh, of course, Lena Romay is good in this as Rita uh, Duran, Lord Marion's daughter. So it's funny. So she's uh, uh, half white, half black in this. And, she, and it's funny they the racism in this is really strong. It's like she, she's talking to the inspector and she says, like, my mother was half black and he kind of looks away in, like, sadness or, like, shame. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I, understand, yeah. I understand your pain. And then in the end, uh, when she's yelled at by and uh, getting threatened, he uh, calls her a, a, a half-caste. Yeah. Uh, uh, Alberto Duvalli's character he's getting ready to murder and it's like Jesus is like screaming you, you, you're just a half cast he's getting ready to fucking murder it's like Jesus on top of everything on, on top of all that stuff oh, it's, it's well, you know dude also when they talked about Albert Pagan when they're like oh yeah, Albert Pagan showed up and oh, he yeah. brought it he's with a Chinese woman and they go what do you say is that uh, oh he's always been odd like that yeah <laughs> he's He's the uh, black sheep of the family. Yeah. It's like, oh, he's with the Chinese woman. Yeah, like, he's so, always been odd. Yeah, yeah. So, no, it's funny with that. Um, <laughs> and let me go over that's the cast before we hit all the, the, the list and everything. Uh, so, yeah, then we have, um, uh, let's see, am I on him already? Or no. Uh, so, yeah, okay. Uh, Lena Romay, of course, is good in this. Um, Vicente Roca plays Inspector Bore. He's actually really good in this. Uh, the cops are actually not inept after all. They have inept times, but they actually yeah. carry through. But we'll hit that on the list later. Uh, you have uh, Yelena Samarina who returns from uh, like Dracula's Daughter and I believe she's in one other film after that and this is like her third film for Franco she's really good in this is uh, Deborah Potts uh, Archibald's servant uh, Antonio Mayans makes his debut in the Franco universe as uh, Alfred Marine uh, Archibald's son uh, Angel Menendez from Sinner and from Signs of the Tombs and a bunch of other films always plays a sleazy guy he plays the fake Lord Archibald the Percival Marion, the, the fake one, with the big mustache. 
Um, Luis Barbu, of course, uh, returns as Rufus Portis, Archibald's servant, and is really good in this. Um, and then Jacques Swan Heinz Thong, also known as Swan Heinz, plays Meru Pagan, Albert's wife. Uh, Jose Maria Palacios plays the coroner. Jose Martinez Blanco, as P. Martinez, plays Brian C. Loy, the notary. Uh, Ricardo Vasquez plays the chief inspector. Jess Franco, as good in this, as Eddie Pemberton, Brooks' assistant. And then you have Dan Van Housen as Albert Pagan. And finally, Ramon Ardid is in here um, as Agent Robinson, Bore's assistant. So, um, all right, I'm going to go over the list real quick of... Not, not a lot of stuff is on this list, so it's going to have a lot of a lot of swings and misses on this list. But we do have, of course, a film opens up with a body of water. Yes. But no sailboats, no boats. Uh, we have palm trees. I don't know. Jungle sound effects, I say no. Oh, I was totally joking. Okay, okay. I got no, no, I was just saying, this There's is background wind, music that they yeah, played in a okay. jungle. Gotcha. <laughs> like, okay. no, no, there's yeah, definitely yeah. no jungle no sound effects. Chained up person, yeah, a woman yes. tied up, I guess you'd call that. Um, Which is pretty cool, death scene. Like, yeah. I thought it was pretty crazy. Cool, pretty that creative. Was. And also, chained up person, we're going to add on... Um, Whipping scene. There was a whipping scene in this, um, yeah. and it seems like those kind of go hand in hand. Um, and then the see, okay, so these are gonna be a lot of no's right through here. Uh, dance scene on stage, stripping. No, that would have been weird. Yeah, <laughs> especially if it was Louis Barbu and uh, Burger. Uh, club scenes, dancing. No, jazz music. Yes, excessive zooms. Not excessive. No. There's some good, really good zoom scenes that were made sense in this. Unfortunately, number 11, out of focus shots, yeah, yeah, quite a few. and Not a crazy amount, but at least 10, probably. Uh, mirror shots, yes, very few, but maybe one or two. Uh, one for sure, maybe more than that, but one yeah, that would be difficult. Couple, yeah. uh, mind control theme. Hmm. Not hypnotized, this and that, but there is a mind control of of uh, the guy getting killed and then his mind losing focus and then coming. It's not mind control, but it does have something to do with the mind of I went here and it was triggered and then I remembered everything and then I had to kill these people and almost like I was hypnotized and then now I got the command, you know. Convoluted way, but it's a little bit there, but not as much. But it, but the mind is a big part of this film. Of well, yeah, he had amnesia, and then he, yeah. he, then he remembered. He and then was, once he remembered, then it was like his control. He had to kill these people. Yeah. But an hour before that, he didn't have to kill these people. But yeah. then something clicked, so it's almost like a mind control in reverse. Kind of like road rage. Yeah. And it was also, too, this is like, uh, what was it, the Avenger of Soho, which is similar to this, where the cop fakes his death, and then he comes back and kills the people later that that did the crime on him where he, he observes him and watches to see who it is first and then does it very similar to this. Um, so yeah, it's another Franco copying his, um, other stuff, even though he says cat in the canary and shit, which doesn't make sense. Um, uh, number 14 magic tongue scenes. No, actually <laughs> magic tongue was put away on yeah. Marty Lena and she didn't get to play. So yeah, that, that was, that was sad. Um, seen her really pretty teeth in this. Yeah. Seen her hair pulled back. I don't think even her hair was released, huh? No, no. Was just, she was laying in bed, I think that was, yeah, that was a little bit. But, yeah, that's about it. Yeah. But that's not even, yeah. Yeah, Lena's almost wasted in this film. I mean, she's good. She got to act, and she had good acting mm-hmm. scenes and stuff and that. And But it's sad that when, you know, she does her shirt, you get excited. And yeah. then it's to see whip marks, and it's like, oh, never mind. Lena as a Puritan. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was sad. Uh, so, yeah, no magic tongue, no red light scenes. Yeah. 
no sheep's in. God damn, there's no masturbation at all in this film. <laughs> With a C item, a D item, an E item, or an F item. Uh, number 17, mad scientist, no. no. 18, fish tank shots, no. no. 19, talking animals, parrots, and birds, no. 20, end credits, yes or no. A lot of end credits. Lot of- uh, the beginning of the font reminded me of Happy Days, and the final uh, end font was like... Um, Spanish horror font uh, or the uh, 30s universal font actually the big blocky monster letters yeah. pretty cool um, 21 handwritten signs or notes no yeah. Erica noticed an actual made sign of the notary <laughs> which was official signs I was really curious maybe yeah. that guy was an official notary I'm curious if that was because if they had that made that's that's some budget man if he actually got a sign made for the film yeah. with somebody's fake name uh, inept cops no I say no slash yes. There's parts of them that were inept. I kept losing his hat, going back, going back and stuff. But he was the one that was smart in the end, which was funny. Uh, spiral staircase. Not spiral. More like a square. But, yeah, there's a downside shot of that. And uh, no belly chains in this because there's really no bellies to be seen, no. you know. Even the guys with their pants way up to their fucking rib cages. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> button at his belly button. So, yeah, that's the uh, Franco list, which is kind of rendered in, in obsolete for this film. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, my thoughts on the film are, you know, like Eric was saying, it's pretty good. It's decent giallo type. You see black gloves. You see uh, uh, it's kind of cool. You That opening poem, you almost think it's like a Necronomicon Book of the Dead, but it was just a poem that the guy was into that was going to show how people were getting killed. And it's cool that they can really, really stress that in the beginning. And you seen people die by the things and uh there's a good twist where you keep waiting for the water death and it turns out to be something else um so that's really cool um the dime store mask of course looked funny at times but other times it worked really well i mean it's funny because it's so cheap but then it looks kind of cool because it's so cheap that it's scary looking um you know it served its purpose um you can kind of tell who the killer is by the the hairy arms a little bit at least it's male you know that but but it's like i said there's a good twist that he pulls off on this that surprised me and uh it's always good to do false finishes so they did a lot of false finishes about two false finishes in this um yeah i don't know uh decent acting in that but yeah totally no very very low nudity i think the first one was like 31 minutes in yeah and then like after that you get like a second from then and like four or five seconds here and there but knowing that it's in spain and that type of production with their strictness on nudity and that it, it totally makes sense but uh and of course this was his first film for this new company so he tries to do a little classier and stronger productions and and then later on starts putting in because the next film is hot nights of linda and that's quite a bit different <laughs> than this so, right there at your elbow is uh the next oh, film yeah. so yeah <laughs> oh yeah so yeah i don't know uh like i said there's some cool candles a lot of cool candles have a lot to do with this film it's really dark uh, he used a lot of cool primary lights. Uh, it's cool. She saw it with the shadows at the end of the film. That was cool. cool. That was silhouettes. Really cool. Um, a lot of the candles lighting and they're eating dinner and stuff. They're lit, seeing through candles. My, I think my favorite scene was probably the seance scene when the lady puts into a robe and she's okay, yeah. summoning the darkness and you think a demon or something's going to come out. That was, I thought was a good scene. It had yeah. tension. You kind of wait to see what was going to happen. Then of course the, King Demon Louis Barpoo comes out <laughs> with those big eyes. <laughs> yeah, leaping toward with knives and starts cutting everybody, which is pretty frightening to see him jump out of the yeah. darkness and come at you with a knife. That's like 
fuck, dude. That's Michael Myers or Jason or yeah. You know, I was like, fuck, dude. You know, I think he could play the ape in like the, is it the Rue Morgue or yeah, the Murders in the Rue Morgue. Yeah, 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 totally, totally. Yeah. He could play the ape in that one. Yeah, no, he could, <laughs> yeah, no, but just I mean, I mean, he is a fucking like if you put his face like line him up with killers in movies or like boogeyman type guys, yeah, like, yeah. you know, Michael Myers. I mean, you know, he's a big fucking muscly dude. He's got the yeah. I mean, you don't need makeup. No, I mean, distinctive. Just, yeah, yeah, I mean, very distinctive. He's physically a fucking dude, you know. So, yeah. but uh, yeah. So, what what notes or thoughts did you write down? Because you actually wrote a lot more uh, yeah, notes than I did. You actually took quite a few notes. Well, we kind of pretty much went all over them. Um, it was like just uh, I was just kind of laughing about how like like how he was like kind of like so go go hide behind your wife's skirt and oh yeah yeah that, that guy was actually in control. And so it's kind of funny that he would let the like man, bitch, I let you. Resume. I let you become this millionaire marrying guy, right? But um, I just like it was just because they were reading from the the book of uh, God. What was it called? The book of the apocalypse. Apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, they're talking about earth to bury us, uh, wind to scourge, water to drown, and fire to burn. And I thought I was cool. Like, of course, my extremely intelligent observation of. Hey, they were all killed while alive, you know. Yeah. What I meant by that is like they were all left to die by the element. Right. By you know, the they were just. Uh, and, it's funny, and in the book, they have her being killed by water on the rocks, even though it was the wind in the yeah, film. They yeah, say, they so mentioned the wind. Was, there's always something in these books that's slightly off. Yeah. Like, no, that's not right. We just saw that. So yeah. Yeah, I thought. See, that to me, that was my favorite death scene. Was like just the thought of like tying someone to a rock as the water and the wind, you know. But, see, because I thought that. That was water because she was drowned by the rock. Me but too. then the cops said it was wind. That I guess the wind of the force of the waves hitting her killed her. Yeah. So now I'm saying it, yeah. thinking it out, it makes sense because the wind pushed the waves, and technically it was the water that hit her, but the wave, the wind pushed, pushed the waves. It, yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Like honestly, I thought that was a pretty creative, scary fucking it was. way to go. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, that's how I hope I never die. I hope to never die that way. <laughs> So, listeners of the Franco Observer podcast, you now have a secret way to kill Eric. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah that, that actually was. You're gonna be like, hey, Eric, I got this part for you in this yeah, movie. Yeah, here. Yeah, I know. And then that poor lady too. That's either it was her or it was the first person they show in the beginning on the rocks. I think I wonder if that okay, the first scene where you see the guy putting the lady on the rocks I, was that the same lady that's. I later think so. On? I think it was like foreshadowing. That's what I, I thought. I think the different. beginning credits was just foreshadowing what was to come in the movie. So then that lady has to be the one that was. And we read the books that was really blacked out. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 shit, yeah. You know, which, which we couldn't tell it was. We thought it was the one lady. Then we thought it was Lena. And it was, you know. I wonder if it was the lady at first. And then she couldn't do it again. So they just had Lena, like, stand in for her. Good call. Because that really looked like her Lena. face looked like it changed. It was one lady's face. And then yeah. we looked at it. And then it was an upside down shot. And then it looked like it was somebody else's face. I said, oh, that's Lena. Because it looked like her eyes and her mouth. But it, she might have good call on that. Now watch that again and see. Possible. Yeah, they might have done that as like later on. Because you know Lena's hardcore like that. She because like, I'll do it. Because probably what happened was they were waiting, and then he said, probably said, "Hey, why don't you go down there, lay down there?" You know, because knowing how we do films, like, oh, yeah. wh- while we have a couple hours here, if, if you're okay with doing this, lay down here, and I'll just shoot you this way, yeah. so we can move on and do other stuff instead of waiting for it to come back and finish this up. You know, yeah. Which I could totally see that doing that. Yeah. You know, and just making it into script. Or they're just like, I'm not doing that anymore. And no, because they were like, well, yeah, because she's she's in the ambulance or whatever. Or, or yeah. off to the side, you know. But he's hardcore, fucking, you know. All right, let's fucking get you down there, Lena. You know, well, Lena there. fucking will jump off of goddamn yeah. mountains and I shit know. and barefoot. Especially this film, she's like, shit, I have to fucking be dressed all the way up to my fucking neck <laughs> and, and not show any skin. At least I'll lay down on the rock for you, you know. Yeah. 
Well, I got this rock snuggled up right right where I wanted to. Yeah, you exactly. Me here. Yeah. Lean on the rocks. That's, that's a nice Lean drink. on it. Yeah. <laughs> so any other thoughts or observations? I mean, that was those? pretty much, that was just pretty much it. Like, I was just uh, just waiting for, like, the, the water thing to happen. And it was just, it was, I don't, yeah, it was cool. It was a good movie. It was. Uh, William Berger's good in it, I think. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he always plays a good sleazy bad guy. William Berger's badass, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's badass. He doesn't have a lot of dialogue in this, but he's good. He's, he's still mugs a lot and looks, looks, looks tough and shit and. And he gets to worship his wife in a scene, and yeah. he's a killer and shit, and you know, does some good shit and stuff. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't have any pictures of him there. Just that. No, I know. Yeah, I, yeah. I just kind of miss what's his name, um, Howard Vernon. Yeah, Vernon. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I think he might be in the next film. Let's was, see. Was, this, was this when he was off like doing some other films, or? Well, no, he. Uh, yeah, he could be because yeah, the next film is um, Paul Mueller. Is, okay. Uh, which is which he returns, which I didn't know he comes back. So. Monica Sweeney. Yeah, okay, so that's good. So but anyway, nice. but yeah, yeah. So yeah, Burger Burger is uh, good in this, and uh, uh, Franco's good as the kind of the drunk. I saw that Eric. He's kind of like the drunk in the beginning. It's kind of comedy, but then he kind of like watches over the guy peeping over into the peepholes. Like he's kind of like, oh, you're a fox, and he's kind of like the morality. Kind of like, oh, I'm a little bit better than you. Kind of yeah. knowing I'm smarter than you. And it's, and Frank likes to book himself as that, like, he's the expert knife thrower in one film. In <laughs> film he works for Scotland Yard. Yeah. He's real smart, and he knows this and that. He's yeah. the most genius, and they call him about advice for certain things and shit. It's like, hey, well, if you're in the fucking, if it's your movie, you should write yourself as Yeah, you want. why not? You know, you can still make fun of yourself, but, you know, give yourself nice stuff, too. Why not? You know, just, there's no harm in that, as long as you're not the star and, oh. you know, killing 80 people or whatever. I would love just to find just the, the one segment. Of his uh, slow motion dying scene, I oh, wish yeah, I could yeah. just find that segment. Like I could watch just that. I just want to watch that over yeah. and over. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, with Melina. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because that day he's like, well, I think I'm gonna just go ahead and just pantomime it like it's in slow motion. We're not gonna film it in slow motion. I'm just gonna die in slow motion. <laughs> just something different. You know? Yeah, I guess you have total control. Uh, you have yeah, total you, control, you know. Yeah, you do what you do. Yeah, so. All right, well, we'll go ahead and give the, all the old good plugs and all that stuff now. Uh, you can get a hold of us at uh, Franco Observer at uh, yahoo.com. Uh, go ahead and leave us mail there. Feel free. Don't be shy. Don't be scared. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at the Franco Observer Podcast. Uh, go ahead and subscribe, download, share, and rate uh, the podcast, and tell all your friends, tell the Franco people. Uh, there's always new Franco film, not new, but there's always current Franco releases coming out all the time. There's uh, Death Whistles the Blues and uh, Rafifi in the City is going to be two of them coming out in October through Severin. And then, of course, they just put out um, House of Psychotic Women, I mean, yeah, House of Psychotic Women, and then... Uh, Black or, um, Black Boots Leather Whips just came out, so they're gonna, that's four right there. So that's pretty awesome that they're doing that. Um, so yeah, and then we'll be reviewing those very shortly because those are coming up in the uh, rotation and in the lineup. So um, of course, our mission st- statement in here is praise and done in memory of Uncle Jess, giving his films uh, new eyes and new ears to all that like him. Um, I don't know. I just say whatever else. Uh, download the show and uh, let's keep going this is episode 55 double nickels so we're almost halfway done I don't know something like that so 
a lot, a lot more to go, but uh, yeah. The 35, 35 more, I think, we'll be halfway there, right? Well, no, we're at 55, and pretty much like 140-something is the count, 147. Okay, I got think. it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, we're, yeah, we're a little more than a third there. Damn, you know, that's you crazy. Know, take, so, yeah, maybe half. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. But, yeah, because, no, I don't know, some of his... I mean, we might go over some of his, like, porn stuff and stuff, but I might leave out, like, those five or ten titles. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll maybe see those might be solo podcasts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or maybe watch like four of them and just do one podcast on four of those films or something. Just, you know, <laughs> I'm, bring, I'm bringing a pillow. Yeah. <laughs> watch me fast forward, but another way. You know, <laughs> Got to get, get Will in here to join us for those ones. So. Oh, no. But uh, yeah, that's like the, because uh, he did one like on Falcon. Remember Falcon Crest? Uh, yeah, like the TV show. That, yeah, he yeah, did yeah. A, a spoof like Falcon Breast. Like, it was like Falcon Oh, no, Crest. shit. And then he did one on Dynasty as well, like a... A, a dynasty porno is like, yeah so he did like the dynasty two, yeah type of thing yeah, those, <laughs> i have one i have uh one of those which one if i got i have oh yeah um falcon crest yeah fatal crest yeah that's one that i have I, okay I, I have one of those but yeah so but anyway that's 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 way later on down the road so <laughs> but uh i don't know yeah so i don't know kind of a flat ending but that's kind of like franco's film just kind of a flat ending so yeah uh, beautiful nights what is